newspapermen meet such interesting people. They know the lowdown, now it can be told. I'll tell you quite reliably off the record about some charming people I have known. For I meet politicians and grafters by the score. Killers plain and fancy, it's really quite a bore. Oh, newspaper men meet such interesting people. They wallow in corruption, crime and gore. Ting-a-ling-ling, city desk. Pull the press, pull the press. Extra, extra, read all about it. It's a mess meets the test. Oh, newspaper men meet such interesting people. It's wonderful to represent the press. Media Project gives you a half hour of commentary and analysis, which we hope you will appreciate on the media issues of the week, and we thank you for joining us. I'm Rex Smith, editor-at-large of the Times Union, here with Alan Shartok, Rosemary Arameo, and Ira Fussfeld, and we are looking forward to our conversation today. Of course, Alan Shartok is the CEO of Northeast Public Radio, Rosemary Arameo is journalism professor and investigative reporter, and Ira Fussfeld, the longtime publisher of the Daily Freeman in Kingston, New York, now joining those who are more or less somewhat retired, not Dr. Shartok, who, uh, just as we were about to tape, claimed to be 89 years old. That's fake news, Alan. Fake no, news. Yeah, it's, uh, what I meant to say is that I felt 89 years old. Turns out I'm only oh. 79, but I forgot that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you still got a few good months left, I'm sure. Anyway, we are glad to have a chance to talk about what the media is doing or has not been doing. What's the media going to do with Donald Trump leaving the White House, which we think actually will happen? But I think we ought to talk about alternatives that might still keep an audience, because after all, no audience, no media. Alan, what do you think is going on? What's going to happen? Well, first of all, we do know that Donald Trump wants to stay in the limelight, and he'll do anything to stay there. He's already announcing to keep the wolves from the door. He's leaking it out via his unauthorized people that he's going to run again in 24. So that means there's going to be a Donald Trump in the news media's eyes for a long, long time. Now, there are those people who say, why does the news media just give up on this? The more attention they give him, the more powerful he will be. And this panel has discussed this a number of times. Put another way, if you're an editor and your bosses are holding you responsible for how many people either read your paper or listen to your radio station or watch your television, you know news when you see it. And anytime this guy says something outrageous, the news media is going to cover it, even if they shouldn't. Right, Rosemary? You know, I used to write a column, as a community column for the Times Union paper, you know, Rex. And uh, just before 2016, it was in the middle of 2015, I wrote a column about why is the media paying attention to Donald Trump? Why don't we just never write about him again unless he's elected to office? And I pulled it back. I never let it publish because I said, no, I have to sit on this for a while. And that proved to be prescient. And the truth is, Donald Trump is a news media magnet. He has courted the media. He knows the things that make him irresistible to reporters. And he is a legitimate news target. Everything he does now as a former president, as a possible legal target, as a possible new candidate, as a possible businessman who is going to develop a media network, this is newsworthy. Should we cover it? I think that the media right now, and for some time has been, but especially now, is engaged in trying to figure out what to do with him. If you remember his 46-minute video rant, did any of you watch some of that? You can't watch it all. It's really hard where he just went off with lie after lie after lie about 
election fraud. What should the media do with that? Do we cover it? It's all untrue. None of it has been proven. It seems to be part of a scheme for him to get more money from his hapless followers. So should the media cover that? Yes, but it's how they cover it that I think is the issue. As a scam and a fraud and a bizarre event, I think it's worthwhile to cover. Hera, just to go back to the original premise of your question, are you suggesting what is the media going to do about Trump because it's going to be losing viewers and clicks and readers once he leaves office. Is that the concern you're expressing, or is it, as uh, Rosemary and Alan have discussed, substantively, what are we going to do? And if it's the latter, the the landscape has changed, as we've spoken about on this program and elsewhere for so long. He is not going to go away, A, and he is not going to go uncovered, because the media that we know of, Fox and OAN and Newsmax and the AM talk radio people, he's going to get plenty of oxygen. So he is simply not going to go away. It's one, you know, it's one of the sad things about this transitional period, beyond the fact that it still makes me nervous about what's going to happen between now and January 20th, is that that he is taking up so much of the space that should be going to the new president and the new administration. So it's going to be impossible to ignore him. And then the question is, how much are the mainstream, quote unquote, press going to give him? And again, it's going to be impossible to ignore him. Don't you agree? Yes. But the fact is, if there isn't a conscious decision, I think, on the part of network presidents and executive editors to say this guy gets only as much attention as another candidate for president. I think he could be a dominant figure taking pot shots from the sidelines day after day in one individual decision after another. It's going to be very hard for these people who cover national politics. I'm not talking about our local newspapers as much, but I think it's going to be very hard for them to resist some of the craziness that we're going to be hearing from him. Well, Rex, let's talk about this a little bit. CNN used to play every news conference that Trump had or every time he had a spiel. And in fact, that was very good news for Andrew Cuomo because they needed an antidote and he became the antidote. And so they played Trump in the afternoon. They would play Cuomo in the morning. When they stopped playing Trump so much, they stopped playing Andrew so much. And his stock may, in terms of his visibility, may have gone down just a little bit. But I'm saying that CNN, which was sort of gutless in the beginning, became very pronounced and said another law another untruth before every time they talked about the president. So I do think that the media has it within them to make some real substantive changes. I have some alternatives that I might suggest that might sustain the enterprise, because we're all concerned about sustaining the journalistic enterprise. I want to cite three different things, service journalism, process journalism, and documentary journalism. Those are alternatives to political journalism. And I think we need to see more of that kind of thing, more actually as a focus of our efforts. You know, service journalism is stuff like writing about cooking and gardening and the way people lead their lives. Process journalism is explaining things. The pandemic coverage is process journalism. The counting of the ballots, that's process journalism. Documentaries give us insight into the world around us. My wife and I watched this 
this terrific documentary the other night about a gospel choir being formed by a preacher in the Hampton Roads area who's the uh, uncle of the singer Pharrell Williams. And I felt after I came out of that that I had a better understanding of black religious culture than I'd had before. So, you know, those are alternatives that I think are audience building that journalists might consciously focus. Those who are actually gatekeepers, publishers, editors, news directors, executive producers, focus on something other than politics, in fact, to keep an audience with you in the aftermath of all of this. You think that'll happen, Rex? Well, no. (laughs) You know, as I've often cautioned you, Rex, could schmud, should, is different from what our expectations are that are going to really happen. You know, as I've said so many times, that editor sitting there and said, this is good stuff. We can use this. And they don't stop to think of, is this good for the society? They think this is good for readership, listenership, watchership. Well, I I think what Rex described can happen, but if it's going to happen, it's going to happen at the network level on TV. It's going to happen at the CNN level on cable. It's going to happen at the New York Times level in print. It's not going to happen at the Daily Freeman. It's a circulation less than 20,000. I doubt it will happen at the Times Union, which is larger than a community newspaper, but smaller than it used to be in terms of staffing. And the goals are worthy and necessary, but it's just simply impossible for most journalistic enterprises. Yeah, I mean, over the decades that I've been in journalism, I've watched a lot of these movements arise. They never really seem to work out, partly because there's not enough resources to do the kind of documentary journalism you're talking about requires a pretty high level of technical and journalistic skill. And you don't get that when you're hiring kids right out of journalism school. So that's one problem with it. And the other one is, is that it's just artificial It's not like political news is going to go away because we're paying attention to service journalism. We should be doing all of it, in fact. Could we return to Ira for a minute? Ira, that was a very interesting disquisition. You in, you in, you introduced the Kingston Freeman, your ex, newspaper and other local newspapers, some of whom I never, ever mention. And the question would be, this whole industry is in real distress. So isn't it somewhat, you know, pointless to even talk about what the local newspapers are doing with national stories? Well, it it always has been pointless because that's not the focus of the local newspaper, and the local newspaper would have more people, but they would be working on local stories. However, there are local stories that can feed off of national issues and be localized and be quite effective, and those kinds of stories are simply going away. There's just no way. You know, I, I look at my old newspaper, and I know how few newspaper reporters they have now, and I'm startled by the amount of local news they have. It's just incredible, but it's a shadow of what that used to be. You, you know, if you live in this community, you should still buy this newspaper because you're going to find local news in it. You're simply just not going to find as much local news nor as much in-depth reporting as you used to. And I suspect that that's the I know that's the case for virtually all other local newspapers in this country. So are all reporters working harder? Is that what's happening? You're saying you're surprised by the amount of local news that's in the paper. You also acknowledge well, I'm not that... in the room, so I can't tell no, you. No, no, sure, no, 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 they... I get it. I get it. I'm trying to make a philosophical point here. So we have fewer people covering the news. You're astounded by the amount of news that there is. Were people in the old days when there were more reporters working less hard than the new guys are? 
Speaking for myself, I don't think they were working less hard, but that their efforts were expended in different ways. You could have a reporter not have a story in the paper for weeks because he or she is working on an enterprise story. We, We don't have that luxury now. So they were still working hard, but you didn't see their efforts until the the efforts were completed. Now you're seeing every day that they're writing stories, they're taking pictures, they're updating websites. So in that sense, they're working harder to generate copy to keep the beast moving. I do think newsrooms have been aided by technology, actually. The production of pages, for example, is a lot faster. The pagination is a lot quicker now with the new software than it used to be. And of course, the shifting of resources that Ira talks about, when I became the editor of the Times Union, we had a photo staff of 10. That is now a three. But the photography that the newspaper publishes includes photos snapped with iPhones. When you're looking for just a headshot of someone, that is a picture of just their face. It includes reader submissions. It has just changed. We're doing things differently than we used to. And that's the case all around the country. And there isn't as much, I think it's fair to say, there isn't as much generally enterprise, but people have been shifting. You know, an interesting example is Salt Lake City, where there were two competing daily newspapers, the Deseret News and the Salt Lake Tribune. And the Deseret News, which is owned by the Mormon Church years ago, converted to being just purely enterprise. It's not about news at all. And now the Salt Lake Tribune, which has gone from being privately owned to being a not-for-profit, is no longer a daily newspaper. So that's a big city without a daily paper. And they are all focusing on the longer term, the takeouts, the kind of thing that I'm suggesting, service journalism, process journalism, really interesting pieces, but they're not covering local school boards, city halls, that sort of thing. And that, I think, may end up being left to entirely different enterprises. That may end up being, you know, little newsletters. I mean, Alan, you talk favorably about the local newsletter in your community in in Great Barrington that's very successful, you say. It is. It's extremely successful because they cover every jot and tittle. But Rex, I wanted to go back to something interesting you said. You said because of the new technology, you know, you have an audience here. It's the Media Project. Most of us don't know what that technology is. Could you give us a little primer on that? Well, I just mean for the print product, when you're putting pages together, that is done by editors. It's a process called pagination, and it's on a screen, and you're literally building the pages in a design format that you have established. And there are a lot fewer people engaged in that because technology enables a person to put together, a single person can put together eight, ten pages a night as opposed to three pages a night. And do they do their own headlines, for example, and things that used to always go to another person? Well, (laughs) it's a little bit more complex because reporters, yes, do write headlines on stories now, but they don't usually travel to the print product because the reporter writing a headline doesn't know what the format is going to be, where that's going to be laid out. And so the headline won't fit into the format. So there's often a web headline that is, in fact, written by a reporter and that has certain web appeal. That is, it's, it's written to standards that will help readers digitally know what it's about and draw a digital audience. Is that changing? The reason I ask you that question is we all know Ira and Rosemary and everybody who's ever written a newspaper article that somebody comes up and says, that was a disgusting headline. They say, lady, I don't write the headlines. Is that changing? Not on print. In print, just because the reporter doesn't know that it's going to be laid out in in two columns and need a 60-point head, for example, they wouldn't know how to do that. That's done by the design editors who are actually sitting there putting the pages together at night. So it's true. When you complain about the headline, and that's you know one of the most common complaints, the headline doesn't have every nuance of the story. 
Of course it doesn't. It's a very hard thing to write a great headline. And the people who do that have to do it quickly and write it cleverly and write it exactly to the right size that matches the newspaper's design conventions. But you're right, that's a lot less important now than it used to be since all the audience growth is in digital and there are just fewer people engaged in that print product than there ever were before. Well, well, one of the things you alluded to is that the number of people in a given newspaper who are doing this progenation work has shrunk to almost zero because that work is largely being farmed out. I don't know if Rex of Albany is the largest paper for Hearst in this part of the world and is doing the pagination not only for the Times Union but for other newspapers, but I can tell you that the process of production of the newspaper for mine and and many others around the country in my newspaper group and other newspaper groups is being done in a central location somewhere in the middle of the country. So Mm -hmm. that, that is wiped out you know, a whole class of editors who were doing that work locally. But not in India, right, Ira? No, I don't believe so, but there may be some back office work being done in India. (laughs) (laughs) I don't recommend it. Well, well, you know, know, Rex, just to belabor this one more point, I can't tell you the number of times I have read a newspaper headline somewhere. I'm not saying your paper by any means, but a newspaper headline somewhere and say, I wonder if the guy who wrote the headline or the woman who wrote the headline ever even read the story. Yeah, well, that would be bad news. But only our Texas papers and the Hearst group are producing content in one place for other places. Albany's pages are being produced in Albany right now. I think all the Hearst Connecticut papers are produced in a single place. But I've often worried that if that production is shifted elsewhere, will somebody know, you know, in Troy, there's a difference between Fifth Avenue and Fifth Street, for example. Will people be able to get that right if they're writing a headline? So, you know, there is a certain quality control that I think has been lost in some instances in the downturn that has cost thousands and thousands of jobs just in the past year in the media industry. But I do think that, Alan, to your local newsletter, basically, the Berkshire Edge, I think. No, no, the Berkshire Edge is a great newspaper, and I write for it, I have to say. We're talking about a woman named Eileen Mooney, who has taken it upon herself to go to every single meeting and get every single jot and tittle and put it out in a local newsletter and it arrives in your email and in you know for 35 bucks arrives at your home it's amazing I think there's potential for that. Actually, there have been startups of that sort. Patch is one that is around the country, and Patch is actually turning a profit now. I was interviewing a reporter candidate the other day who works for Patch in Brooklyn. I think we may end up seeing a rise of that that came and went about 15 years ago, Patch. And I think it is coming back, and we're going to see more of these hyperlocal newsletters that manage to survive with digital advertising and hyperlocal news news covering things that wouldn't otherwise get covered. Rosemary, you teach young aspiring journalists. This looks like opportunities for young people. Do they recognize that? They recognize that they have to find their own jobs, that they have to be entrepreneurs. And basically, they need a second job or live with their parents. $35 a year for a newsletter is not going to support a staff of very many people. I know we're trying to be hopeful, and that's great, but I continue. And I sound like a dinosaur because I keep talking about the old days, which you guys all know about, too. But I just see a loss of community engagement when you're not covering meetings and process. I see um, a loss of in-depth coverage. If you have... One reporter who's covering 10 school boards, yeah, she's writing a story a day and filling up the paper, but she's not covering any of those 10 school districts in depth or with real meaning. And that is a loss for the community. 
that this conversation, I know you've thought about it a lot, so I don't mean to impugn anybody, but it's glossing over that. I agree 100%. Where are people going to find the product to start with? Where are they going to find the time when they're watching Netflix and they're online all day and they're doing a myriad of other things they do? And when is the Eileen Moody's of the world? When are the Eileen Moody's of the world? How long are they going to do it if they can't make a buck doing it? And if they're doing it for labor of love, well, God bless them. But they're not going to make any kind of money on this. and They're not going to make enough to sustain themselves. So I'm a dinosaur also, but I agree 100% with Rose. The difficulty is that we know, research has shown, that civic engagement drops when local journalism disappears. People vote less. Taxes actually go up. And this has been shown by years-long research. When there isn't aggressive local journalism keeping an eye on local government, governments spend more. Um, Mm. Voting drops when there isn't great local journalism. So, I mean, Rosemary is right to be (laughs) – is it called Dorothy Downer? What's that? What's that? Debbie. Debbie yeah, Downer. I know. Debbie Downer. Yeah. <laughs> Debbie Downer. There you go. <laughs> if, well, if I'm right, Donnie though. Downer then. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know, Rex, you may be right, but you may be wrong. And the reason I say that is I think voting participation goes up when you give people, this is a political scientist speaking, not a journalism of your esteemed state as well as the others. You know, when you give people a choice, as in the Trump election, Trump-Biden election, you know, votership goes up, not down. And it's based on the fact that people know and recognize that they have a choice as opposed to what they're reading in the paper. No? How will they find out that they have a choice? They damn well know there was a choice between Biden and Trump. That's for sure. No, no, you're talking about politicians. I'm, I'm yeah. talking about additional media outlets. How do the Eileen Moody's of the world, how are Mooney, their products Mooney. Uh, it's discovered? Mooney. Yeah, it's all right. Mooney. Yeah. How did you find her product? How did the average person in the Berkshires know that that product exists? People talk to each other. And by the way, I think everybody's getting it now because it's the only place you can get the information you guys have been talking about not being able to get in the past. But of course, you need an informed readership and you need people who give a damn and who who are interested in what went on at the local board of education. Not everybody is. Yes. You, you live in a rather special community. Perhaps, I do. I and do. I worry about the country overall. And I don't know the answer to your question as to – I'm just citing research results that suggest that when local government is not covered, people don't vote and taxes go up. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, you're the guy who's the Ph.D. You should That's respect right. that kind of research. That's no, what I, 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 I don't because for every piece of, <laughs> because for every piece of research, there's that, another piece of research somewhere. The example that I always use, this isn't research at all, but it actually happened in the 1990s when the L.A. Times began to constrict. And so they stopped covering a community called Bell, California. And over the next three years, it just everything that Rex described happened. Mm. The local governance board gave themselves raises. They raised taxes. They cut services. And then the L.A. Times came back and swooped in and did an investigation of what they were all doing. And that one posed a prize. And there were some of us who said they should have been punished because it was the L.A. Times leaving that community that gave these guys the opportunity. Newspapers have served a function of monitoring and watching over bodies that represent us, but then no one has the time or the interest to really sit through their long meetings. They've done that for years. And so, okay, fine, if we're not going to have newspapers now do it. Who's going to take it over? Really, we're going to rely on newsletters by little gadflies and interested individuals who have limited time. That, well, I don't that's think so, it's so, I don't so think... 
I don't think that's fair to call it's Eileen Mooney so for example, gadfly. Nevertheless, we'll take this up the next time because I find it a very promising area of discussion on the three and against one show. Uh, which part are you disagreeing with, Alan? I'm the one. Uh, no, I'm disagreeing on, <laughs> on the validity of the study you're citing. Oh, well, that's good. We'll, we'll see if we can get it for you so you can read it before you criticize it. Why that's not? Good. We'll, we'll just try to help you out there. Never, that's, that's, <laughs> that's snotty, but never a bad idea. <laughs> people say that journalists are just looking down on other people, and I, I don't... I'm sorry, Alan, I didn't mean that. That was not a short comment. That was just... Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> The Media Project, we have just a couple of minutes left here, and I just want to uh, see before we go if we can talk about something that Margaret Sullivan wrote, the media columnist for The Washington Post, who suggested that Fox News might find a place by turning more toward news. She notes that with new alternatives rising on the far right, like Newsmax and so on, she is hopeful that Fox News might actually be right-leaning and successful by placing more of an emphasis on reporting and truth. Do we think that that's likely to happen? I think a lot has to do with the economics of the situation, which is if Fox News finds itself, its business being taken away as Rosemary and Ira and everybody else has talked about, because nature abhors a vacuum by another more right-wing group, they may be less likely to do what is being prescribed here. Well, if they got rid of their primetime lineup, that is, they meaning Fox, and replaced it with less opinionated people and subject matter, their ratings likely would nosedive and so would their revenue. So I think Margaret Sullivan has a high-minded idea there, but I don't think you'll ever see it happen. Much like the people on the panel often have. You guys have high-minded ideas too, don't you? Yes, but we're right. (laughs) (laughs) I hope that listeners of this program will always count the number of times the three of you use the word should as opposed to is. Well, we should hope that people will return and listen to the Media Project next week because we've run out of time this one once again. Alan Shartok, Rosemary Arameo, Ira Fussfeld, and I'm Rex Smith. Thanks to our producer, David Gustina, and thanks to you for joining us this week once again on the Media Project. Now newspapermen meet such interesting people. It must have startled poor old Sadie's aunt. Ting-a-ling-a-ling, city desk. Hold the press, hold the press. Extra, extra, read all about it. It's a mess meets the test. Oh, newspapermen meet such interesting people. Like the richest girl who could not bake a cake. Ting-a-ling, ting-a-ling, ling-a-ling-a-ling. Now, newspapermen are such interesting people. They used to work like hell just for romance. But finally, the movies notwithstanding, they all got tired of patches on their pants. The Media Project is a production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. Alan Shartok is CEO of WAMC, Professor Emeritus at the State University of New York, commentator, columnist, and author. Rex Smith is editor-at-large of the Times Union. Rosemary Armeo is an investigative journalist and adjunct professor at the University at Albany. And Ira Fussfeld is the publisher emeritus of The Daily Freeman. You can listen to or podcast The Media Project anytime at wamc.org or just download the WAMC app for your iPhone or Android at the Play Store today. Thanks for listening. Their policy is an acrobatic thing. They claim to represent the common people. Funny Wall Street never has complained. 
Ah, but publishers have worries, for publishers must go to working folks for readers and to big shots for their dough. Now publishers are such interesting people. It could be prostitution, I don't know. Ting-a-ling-a-ling, circulation, ting-a-ling-a-ling, advertising, get those readers, get that payoff. What a headache, what a mess. Oh, publishers are such interesting people. Let's give free cheers for freedom of the press. <laughs>